Hi, and welcome to the Unveiled Podcast, where we discuss all things related to women to help us think Christianly in every area of our lives. This episode was recorded live with Susie at our Tuesday morning Bible study. We've been studying the book of Ephesians, and chapter 5, verses 22 to 24, speaks specifically about wives submitting to their husbands. We want to address the questions that our women have about this topic, so we had a Q&A to help us process how to live practically, live this truth out. This is the second episode of our Imago Day series, studying what it means to be created in the image and likeness of God, and today we will look at how to reflect God's image in our marriage. Susie is a trained biblical counselor, has a passion for theology and women's ministry, and my training is in education and music, and we both serve together at our local church. We're doing something a little differently this morning. You can hear I have a bit of laryngitis. I feel fine. I sound awful. Um, So just hopefully it's not a distraction to you today. But um, Susie and I were talking about... um, about the questions that came in and the topic that we're covering today. And um, as we were talking, uh, we felt that this would be actually a good opportunity to record this and not just a live stream like we do, but also to use it as a podcast. So we're gonna be recording a podcast this morning um, as we look at the questions that came in and the verses that we're studying this week about wives husband's submission and um, yeah so we're really excited to to be covering this and let's open in prayer together heavenly father we thank you god that we were able to come in worship today god we pray that you would be first and foremost in our hearts in our minds God, help us to put you first in your rightful place in our lives. We thank you for your word. And Lord, as we cover this topic this morning, God, we pray that that our words would be your words, Father. God, we pray that, um, that Susie and I would be able to speak the truth in love, Lord. And um, God, that you would give us softened hearts to hear even even the things that are hard to hear. And so, Lord, we give this to you, and we ask that you would lead and guide our discussion. We thank you for the women that are here, Lord, and we think especially of the women who may be in difficult circumstances or marriages. God, that you would be with them today in a really special way. Father, we pray that you would continue to work in our hearts and our minds continue to transform us into your image. And God, help us to walk this out in love. We love you, God. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. So, welcome to our talk on Ephesians 5, verses 22 to 24. And we're looking forward to digging into some of the questions that you have, that you've sent us. And submission has really become a very bad word, even among Christians. Um, I know it's something that I've had to work through in my life. And uh, it it is an area that we do need to talk about and think about and aim to live out as God has instructed us in his word. So before we get into the questions, Susie, would you be able to explain the verses 
and maybe give us a definition of submission. Okay, so yeah, we are looking at specifically Ephesians 5, 22 to 24. Uh, only a few short verses, and yet they're very powerful and challenging. It says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. And so as I prepare for this, I, I recognize that this is not an easy talk. And I also recognize that um, often with this topic, there's a lot of hurt associated with it. And I also know that all of us, to some degree or another, have been affected by feminist ideology as much as we might have grown up in the church and feel like we are very churched and have a, a solid understanding. We are very, very influenced by the feminist perspective on womanhood and what our roles are and what our lives should look like. And we have to be diligent in seeking God's word first and foremost, and then being obedient to God's word, not our own uh, natural inclinations or sinful desires or sinful self-protection or uh, what the world says, but we have to be uh, radical in our obedience to Christ. And so today, first and foremost, I just want to talk to women and uh, I'm talking about our role and I'm talking to you as sisters, uh, someone who lives among you, not someone who is looking down on you. I, um, I'm speaking to myself. I've been challenged myself even as I was preparing for this. And so it's not as if I have it all together or know everything. It's a continual sanctification process for myself, just as it is for all of you. And um, for those of you that might think, well, you're married to a pastor. This must all be easy for you. Well, if you consider, I would probably call myself uh, the strong, silent type, and Aaron would be the strong, verbal type. So... Don't be fooled to thinking that this is always easy for us either. And yet, I do believe this is something that God has called us to, and I want to be continually transformed, and um, I want to be in greater submission to Christ. Really, it is about submitting to Christ and submitting to his rule in our lives and submitting to who he is. Because when we think about Christ, first and foremost, one of the greatest things that he ever did was submit to God the Father and become obedient even to the cross. He was fully de deity. He had the same worth and value as God the Father. He himself was God as much as God himself, God the Father, is God. And yet he fully obeyed the Father to accomplish his will. And just recently I was struck by John chapter 17, verse 4. This is Jesus' high priestly prayer, and he says, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And it was just a great reminder. Jesus came to earth to accomplish the work of his Father, to do what God asked him to do. 
And uh, when we look at Philippians 2, we see, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And so some key points here that I want to keep in mind for the rest of our conversation, he did not count equality with God, something to be grasped. And as we think about that as women, what do we hear? We want equal rights, equal opportunities. That is something that women are fighting for and have been fighting for for a very long time. And so we have to resist that verbiage. Secondly, it says that he emptied himself. And so instead of making it all about me, he emptied his rights and took on the form of a servant. And then thirdly, he humbled himself by becoming obedient, right? He obeyed God the Father even to the point of death. And so as we consider Jesus and his radical submission to the Father, despite the fact that they had the same value and worth in deity, they were one, and yet Jesus fully surrendered and fulfilled his role, his responsibility to fulfill and accomplish the Father's purposes. And so let's remember that as we consider what it means to be submissive to our own husbands and also to recognize and remember that we have been created in the Imago Dei. That means in Latin, the image of God. We have been created like him. That doesn't mean we're deity. It doesn't mean we are him, but we have been created like him. That means we have been created to represent him to the world. And the more we know about God, God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the more we can actually do that. And so we have great value. We have been given the, the purpose to represent him on earth, to make him known to a world that is broken and lost and abandoned and sinful and dark and depraved. We have been given the opportunity to be a light. And as women, our light might look a little bit different. It will look a little bit different than the light that the men have been called to as they lead and they love their homes. And uh, in that sense, we should be excited and honored to fulfill our role. And so as much as in my humanness, I might think, oh no, like how is this message going to come across today? I actually really hope and pray that this will be a joyful spurring on for each of us to fully and more fully grasp the concept of what it actually means to submit and to respect and to redeem those words in a world that has completely damaged them. And uh, so it starts with us. And certainly husbands have been given a role, and this coming week, that's what we're going to be focusing on, what a husband is to look like and in the role of being a spiritual leader and lover and protector. And so we do understand that, that husbands have a certain role. They can't just act however they want in order to get us to submit. But 
first and foremost, let's look at our own hearts. And as uh, Jesus also says, take the log out of your own eye first so that you can take out the speck in others, right? And so let's look at our own hearts before we start pointing the finger at all the flawed men. And certainly we, we recognize that God has given spheres of authority, spheres of sovereignty to different authorities. And we see that the government has a certain sphere of authority. The church has a certain sphere of authority. Husbands have a certain sphere of authority. Parents have a certain sphere of authority. It doesn't mean we have absolute 100% authority in every area. That belongs to God, right? Um, and so as we talk about this today, I just want to first and foremost say I am mostly talking to women which represents most of us who live in, in marriages where we are still prone to sin and our husbands are still prone to sin. But overall, we're seeking to live within God's rule. And certainly I do understand that even in a context like this, there will be situations, there will be women who are in abusive situations. But let's not assume that those are the norm. Those are the exception. And let's also remember that just because there are exceptions and there are husbands who are abusive, and that's a, a separate issue to address, that doesn't mean that we can't call the the regular marriage to radical submission, the regular woman to radical giving up of herself so that she can submit and honor God in that way. And so uh, let's also remember that as we're called to that, we can't call every sin of our husbands uh, abuse, and we can't excuse every sin of theirs as, well, since he's not leading as Christ has asked him to lead, I guess I don't have to submit, because certainly we are called to submit, or they are called to love us, not only when we perfectly submit. And so we are also called to submit to them, even when they don't perfectly love and lead us. And um, I just want to encourage us that we want to strive to make our marriage work and to honor Christ and to represent uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as women, we have been called to submit. That means to surrender. And um, in all honesty, we need more women, more marriages who are willing to fight than to just excuse and blame. Uh, and so I just wanted to say, first and foremost, we are called to radical obedience in Christ. And I found a quote by Tozer that I thought was excellent. And it says, the final test to love, and I believe he's talking about love to God, is obedience. Not sweet emotions, not willingness to sacrifice, not zeal, but obedience to the commands of Christ. And if Christ has called us to submit, then that is what we are actually called to. Thanks, Susie. Um, and thanks for letting us know that you're also working this out as you're learning about it as well. And I know I don't have it all together either. Um, yeah, but I'm preparing for my counseling session here. So are you guys ready? <laughs> so our first question is, how should a woman be submissive to her husband? Right. And so we've already read uh, Ephesians 5, 21 to 24. We are to submit um, to our own husbands. And that means... Uh, 
we don't have to submit to every man. But specifically, that means that you look to your husband and you consider who he is and seek to submit to him in a way that honors him. You see, I'm married to a different man than some of you. And the things that my husband expects or desires of me might be different than what your husband desires or expects. But as long as they fall within the bounds of purity and holiness, that's okay. And so it's going to look a little bit different. And there's going to be some men that are stronger leaders and some that aren't as strong. But they can still be leaders. And they don't all have to look like Aaron Rock or Paul Giroux or, you know, one of your husbands. No, we are each going to have a unique relationship We are each called to submit to our own husbands, and we are called to submit as to the Lord. And that means that we submit in obedience, and we submit in the areas where there is freedom to submit. We don't have to submit, and we'll get to this a little bit later, to to sinful ways, but there's variation. And like I've said, if my husband prefers certain things and desires certain things and needs certain things, to the best of my ability, if they aren't sinful things, I'm called to submit to those. And uh, we do that, first and foremost, to honor the Lord and to recognize I'm being obedient to God. And therefore, I want to love my husband and honor him and, and build him up and do things that make him feel respected and give him a sense of, of value in our relationship. And I also want to just say, I was very thankful for Jen Morin this week because she actually found most of the scriptures for these questions. I wasn't in the office uh, one day last week, and she just filled in by finding lots of scriptures for me. And so I think that's a blessing. It was not just a blessing for me in my time requirements, but it also helps give uh, a whole um, maybe a bigger picture than what maybe I would have just said on my own. But I also valued um, looking at Proverbs 31, verse 12. Uh, So once again, we're still on the question, how should a wife be submissive to her husband? Proverbs 31, 12 says she does him good. So how can you do good to your husband? That means you need to know him. And once again, specifically do good in a way that honors him. Colossians 3.18 says, as is fitting to the Lord. And so we do all things to glorify God and we don't compromise God's rule in our lives. Psalm 27.78 talks about with the strength of the Lord. So recognize we can't do this in and of ourselves. We are weak. We are prone to our own selfish desires. But with the strength of the Lord, we are able to do this. And if we look back to creation, we recognize from Genesis 2 that we have been created to be his helpmate. So how can you be a helpmate to your own husband? What does he need of you? And that looks different for different marriages. And it looks different in different seasons of life, right? When um, my husband and I first got married and we didn't have any children yet, that looked different than when we had young children. And it looks different than what it does now when our children are all adults. And so that changes. How we are a helpmate to our husbands changes with the different seasons. And it's permissible to look a little bit different in your lives than it does in my life, right? Uh, So yeah. Okay. When should a wife not submit to her husband? 
So yeah, once again, uh, because there are spheres of, of sovereignty, and first and foremost, we submit to God, and we don't obey authorities that are calling us to do anything against the Lord. If we are people pleasers, we are prone to do that. But first and foremost, we want to recognize that we are here to honor God. And if that means that we have to resist authority that is calling us to do something sinful, then we are willing to do that, even if that causes persecution or oppression in our lives, because first and foremost, we are accountable to God. And so uh, a few things here. If uh, we are called to not forsake the gathering together, that's Hebrews 10 verse 25. So if our husband tells us not to go to church or tries to hinder us from that, we still go to church and we still gather together with God's people. And uh, Proverbs 1, 7 to 8 talks about teaching your children about Christ. And so if we're married to, if someone is married to an unbeliever and your husband tries to hinder that, we still have permission to teach Christ to our children. We want our children to know Christ. And we might, we want to be discerning in how that happens or when that happens, but certainly we don't withhold Christ from our children because our husband is, is forbidding that. Ephesians 5.3 talks about not participating in, in immorality. And so if our husband is wanting us to be involved in impure acts, specifically impure sexual acts, we have a right to, to resist that and to say, I don't feel comfortable with that. I don't think that honors the Lord. And we should have the strength and the courage to be able to speak up. Galatians 6.1 also does talk about... Um, reproving one another, and therefore, if our husband is living in blatant, repetitive, un unrepented sin, we do have a right to speak up to him as we would unbeliever or other believers in our church. And then Ephesians 4.25 also talks about not covering up sin, not lying about another person's sin to protect them. Uh, that's taking things too far, right? And so there is times when we have to expose sin, but we do that with discernment and grace, uh, ultimately not to shame someone, but to restore them. And so we don't go blabbing to everybody about our husband's sin. We seek out the counsel of those who are actually able to help and keep accountable. Thank you. Our next question is, should the wife obey the husband? And is there a difference between obey and submit? Right. And so I actually just looked up the online definition of submit and obey because that's what our translators have chosen in the English language to use these words for. And so submit simply means to accept or yield to a superior force or to the authority or will of another person. And so when God's word calls us to submit, we are called to accept or to yield the authority and will of that person. That means we have been called to yield to and to accept the authority and will of our husbands. And obey means to comply with the command, direction, or request of a person or law and to submit to their authority. And so in that sense, I don't think there's a big difference between submitting and obeying. And as much as I think current culture would resist the idea of being told to obey our husbands, uh, 
I don't see much of a difference between submitting and obeying. And furthermore, I would also say that in 1 Peter 3, 4 to 6, we look at the life of Sarah, and this is what it says. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy woman who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham. See, they're quite interchangeable. Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. And Therefore, I would say submission and obedience are interchangeable, and unless our husbands are asking us to sin, we should obey and submit to them. Uh, certainly, if they are evidently stepping into areas that are overbearing, uh, if he is not leading according to the commands that he's been given, you certainly have a right to talk to him. It's not as if we can never say anything or say, you're making me feel in fear inferior or you're making me feel like I'm a, you know, you don't appreciate me that I, I'm just your worker. If that's what's happening, certainly you should have conversations, right? And I think part of the gospel and representing the gospel is being willing to have those kind of conversations and being willing to share, this is how it makes me feel. At the same time, be willing to listen to him in her, his perspective and why he wants things done a certain way or why he feels that God has initiated this kind of directive in his life and, and therefore he is implementing that into the marriage and into the family. Um, so we have to trust that. And yes, we are called to obey. And I was thinking about a situation that... Um, may make some women feel uncomfortable. And one of those things is more recently, my husband has started asking for steak on Sundays. And he says, I've preached. I want to come home and I want a nap and I want to wake up and I want to have a steak on Sunday nights. And, um, you know, part of me is totally like, yeah, you're right. Because I know what it's like preaching the word of God, you're absolutely exhausted. There is an exhaustion that comes from speaking God's word boldly and, and, and then interacting and being on and attentive. And so, you know what? For the most part, I consider this to be my opportunity to love on him, to appreciate him, to recognize the work that he has done and the energy he has spent and this is my way of loving him. And there might be people who resist that and think, like, who is he to think that he has a right to ask you to make a mistake every single Sunday? Um, there are times when I'm like, oh, I really don't feel like doing this, or in my heart where I have to resist the resistance of wanting to do that. But overall, I don't think he's out of his, his realm of request to ask me, for a steak on Sundays, and he doesn't try to tell me what I need to cook every single day of the week or every meal. In fact, he gives me a lot of freedom and flexibility and a lot of appreciation for what I do. And uh, so in that sense, does he demand it? Does he become a dictator? Absolutely not. But that's his request. So why would I not be happy to honor that? If I actually love this man and admire him and respect him and 
recognize the hard work that he does. And I think it's a matter of perspective, right? Our, in, in our feministic worldviews, we'd be like, no one has a right to ever ask that. But don't we also ask things of our husbands and ask for their help at times? Maybe when our children are young, we need them to go change a diaper. Or when our kids are older, hey, can you come and help rec- you know, with correction of this child? I, I need your male authority here. Or if we're in a dilemma at work, don't we want them to come and, and take our our side and, and advocate for us? Certainly, there's many opportunities, many ways that we also ask of them. And so that's just one example of being willing to, in a sense, submit, maybe even obey uh, what he has asked, but not in a demeaning way, but in a way that I have an opportunity to, to honor him. Something you said earlier about you and Aaron is that you're a strong, silent person in your marriage. And um, I think sometimes we confuse submission with weakness. And uh, I think you just showed, you know, when we, when we lay down our lives and submit, you know, that's not out of weakness, but it's actually out of, of love for God and, and respect and strength, really. So uh, the next question is, how can I be a happy, submissive wife? Okay, so uh, happiness is a a choice, right? And we have a choice what we're going to focus on. Are we going to focus on all the negatives or our own internal, you know, thoughts of entitlement? Or are we going to choose joy? Psalm 119, says that our source of joy comes not from within, right? Uh, In fact, let's turn to Psalm 119 if you have your Bibles. You are welcome to turn there with me. So Psalm 119, which is a very long psalm, and verse 11 says, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. And so there is delight in obeying God. 1 John 5, verse 3, there is joy in happiness, once again, in obeying God's commands. Ephesians 5, 18 talks about that joy comes from having a spirit-filled life. So who are you filling your spirit with? Are you filling your spirit with your own desires and intentions and dreams and goals and sense of entitlement? Or are you living a spirit-filled life? If you're living a spirit-filled life, you will find joy in being submissive. That's part of God's command to us. And Colossians 3, 23 to 24, once again, talks about serving as unto the Lord. And always remembering that first and foremost, we're obeying Christ as we submit and respect our husbands. And there should be joy in there. There is delight in being able to honor the Lord because that gives us peace. It gives us a unity. It gives us um, blessing and favor from the Lord. It doesn't mean he gives us everything that we want. But when we are in God's will, and we are obeying him, that is the safest place, the most protected place we can ever be. And there is joy in that. And so, yes, we can absolutely be a happy, submissive wife 
because we are obeying the Lord and we are filled in the Spirit. And first and foremost, we remember that we're serving Christ, not anyone else. I love that. He's our source. What is an example of submission in marriage? Right. So once again, I wanted to go back to 1 Peter 3, 4 to 6, that talks about, let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women of God, who hoped in God, used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. And so first of all, submission looks like a gentle and quiet spirit. So not a resisting spirit, not a rebellious spirit, not a reactive or self-protective spirit, but one that is trusting and quiet. And quiet doesn't, in this sense, mean that you never say anything, but you're at peace. There is a calm there is a trust in you, first and foremost, because you trust the Lord and, and know that he is looking out for you and that he is looking out for your good and for his glory. And so you can be at peace. Secondly, submission is respectful, but not fearful. You see, uh, true submission is not about being afraid of your husband, but just seeking to respect him and to honor him, just like the fear of the Lord. We recognize that the fear of the Lord doesn't mean that we're always walking around trembling, thinking he's going to harm us. But no, if we're honoring him, if we're obeying him, there's absolutely nothing to be afraid of, but we have a reverence for the Lord because we recognize that God is God and we are not, and that he is holy and he has called us to be holy, and that he has the power to both bless and to punish us. And in the same way, obviously, um, our husbands are different, but they are also like God and in the sense that they have been given authority. And in the end, they're going to give an account to God for how they have loved us and led us. And and that means that they should also be leading us and loving us with great reverence to God. And if that is what they're doing, we have no need to be afraid of them. And yet, I do recognize that there are some husbands that can be kind of scary. And First Peter 3 speaks into that in a very, very um, significant way. And if we look at First Peter 3, 13, it says, now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? So if we are zealous to say, I am going to honor and respect my husband um, in every way that I'm able to, I will not compromise the commandments of God. But in other ways, I will do everything possible to honor my husband. Verse 14 says, But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame." For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. And so if by submitting to your husbands you suffer for doing good, that is God's will. 
right? Let me read that again. For it is better to suffer for doing God's doing good if that should be God's will than for doing evil. Uh, we're going to talk about boundaries a little bit later on, but for now, let's just sit on that. We do not have to be afraid of what other people will accuse us of if we are submissive or obedient to our husbands, because certainly we'll probably have some girlfriends that ridicule us for that. We also don't have to be afraid of our husbands. And uh, if we say, I am not willing to do that because that's actually contrary to God's word. And if he begins to shame us or ridicule us or be harsh with us, we also don't have to live in fear of him because ultimately we know we have done what is right in God's sight and we can trust the Lord. We, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for doing good? And ultimately our trust is in the Lord to protect us in every way that he sees fit to bring himself glory. And any harm that we do actually uh, acquire from our doing good is part of God's plan. And his ultimate plan is always for his glory and for our good. And so we can trust him. Um, and so... Um, Yes. Uh, I also wanted to say, so first of all, submission looks like a gentle and quiet spirit. Submission is respectful, but not fearful. And submission is responsive. And so we respond to the requests and the direction and the leading of our husband. And sometimes it's going to look like him saying, hey, how can I pray for you? That's him leading. And as much as that sounds lovely, sometimes women resist that because then we have to be vulnerable with him. Then we have to admit what's going on in our lives and open ourselves up to him telling us how we should handle that situation, right? But if he asks you how he can pray for you, then we need to respond by letting him know. Uh, it might look like him asking after we've, you know, shared our problem with him. It might look like him saying, hey, do you have a plan? Can I help you with this plan? And uh, sometimes you might already have a plan in place and he might just affirm you. And other times it might look like him saying, well, this is what you need to do. Trust me with it, even if you don't see the truth right now. And when he does, and when he says, no, this is the decision I've made, we need to submit to that in every way, unless, of course, he is asking us to sin uh, and so that's sometimes what submission looks like. It can also mean that um, we give him the attention that is necessary. It means that we make him our first priority, uh, not our last priority. Uh, that means that we have to consider how much time we spend with friends. It means we have to consider how much time we spend with our children or our hobbies or even our work. And as much as maybe in the past, those were things that we'd often blame on men, calling them workaholics or neglecting the duties of their family, many times women also do that. And it can especially be evident in our child-rearing days when we're expending so much energy that we really don't save anything for our husbands. Um, or it can look like before or after having children or... Um, 
you know, at any time being so invested in our hobbies or our friends that we're actually neglecting our own husbands. And so let's make sure that even in this, we are honoring them and respecting them by giving them the attention that is necessary. Thanks, Susie. I feel like I want to watch that one back and listen to that answer again. That was powerful. That was really good. Um, so I think we've covered this a little bit, but I am going to ask it again, and maybe somebody needs to hear it again or um, word it in a different way, but does a husband have authority over his wife? So yes, I think we've uh, kind of talked about that already, but uh, he does have authority over you, just as Christ has authority over the church. And so all I'm going to do is I'm just going to read what we're going to be studying this coming week, and it'll just prepare you for that. But this is what it says in Ephesians 5.25 and following, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water and the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife uh, loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ in the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. And so we know that the love that Christ has for the church is an authoritative love. He leads us with wisdom and and power and might, and he, he puts certain things in place for us to keep us holy and blameless. And in the same sense, our husbands also have authority over their wives. Can you explain what um, chapter 5, verses 26 and 27 mean when it says that he might sanctify her and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word? Yeah, so the goal of the husband should be the same as the goal of Christ, right? And Christ came to sanctify us, to cleanse us, to purify us. And in the same way, our husbands also have that goal and that authority in our lives. And that means that our husband doesn't just self-protect. He doesn't just live in fear of his wife. And as wives, sometimes we can be kind of scary too. Because we try to make it look like men are the scary ones, but really we have a very powerful, sneaky way of being manipulative and silencing our husbands so that they will not say what needs to be said. And I think there's many women and uh, who who intimidate their husbands. And maybe we do that by withdrawing. Maybe we do that by giving them the silent treatment. Maybe we do that by yelling back at them. Maybe even belittling them. Um, sometimes calling them a narcissist. Because after all, if he's a narcissist, then he's beyond help. And he's the only one that has ever sinned. And therefore, he is the one in the wrong. And uh, I'm not saying that there isn't any... Um, there's certainly what, and we'll talk about narcissism a little bit later, and there is a, a toxicity that certainly can happen from some of those 
traits, which are, are sin. I prefer them to call them as they are rather than just labeling them as, as narcissism. But we, we have this way of, of silencing our husbands, which maybe you've never thought about that, but you are causing him to be afraid to actually do what he needs to do. And that is called to sanctify you and to purify you. And that means that sometimes he needs to call you out on these behaviors or these attitudes. And it's not to shame you or, or condemn you or ridicule you, but to sanctify you, to purify you so that you can be holy and blameless at the day of Jesus Christ. And that's not easy on him. I'm sure he doesn't enjoy that. And I'm sure uh, we've probably all had times when it's been done incorrectly, but it's still his role. And and so in that sense, yes, he he's called to help purify us. And as much as it might hurt us or annoy us or shame us in the moment, it's part of our sanctification. I saw a lot of heads agreeing with that one. <laughs> I think we can all, we can all um, agree with that sometimes. Um, what does a submissive woman need in a relationship? Right, so this might almost sound like, um, well, if, if I have my needs met, then I'm able to submit. But Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 talks about how we are to trust in the Lord in all our ways, and lean on our own understanding. And so what do we need to be able to submit? We need to be able to trust the Lord. And if we trust the Lord, then we are able to submit to our husbands. Should a wife tell her husband everything? Good question. Well, I would say that probably most of us have certain things that we only talk to the Lord about. And uh, we have the Lord who is available 24-7, who is unlimited in his grace, in his mercy, in his understanding. And so first and foremost, we should talk to the Lord about everything and take everything to him in prayer. And I actually think it's a good habit to have is to talk to him first so that when you're actually at a point where you talk to your husband or another friend or spiritual mentor, Maybe you've already helped get some of that ugliness out and he's already helped, the Lord's already helped shape and refine you or give you the courage to say the things that need to be said. And, um, oh, I had a funny, uh, funny thing. So first of all, I will say, usually if we're saying, I don't think I want to tell my husband this, it's probably when we should tell our husband. So I do have a funny little, uh, story. So, uh, I don't actually go to Subway very often. My daughter works at Subway. So a few Saturdays ago, I had to drive into Amherstburg, a town near us, to get some groceries. And I thought, let's just make this fun and go to Subway. We'll visit Abby while she's working and I'll get myself a sub. So I asked Aaron if he'd like a sub as well. So he said he would. And I thought, okay, we'll eat our subs here at Subway. We'll enjoy a sandwich and then I'll bring Aaron a sub. And so I ordered a foot long for Aaron and I to share. I figured I'd eat half and then I'd give him the other half. <laughs> so I don't know, I'm sitting there with my grandson and my daughter and it just got complicated. <laughs> it just got complicated and his, <laughs> sorry. So his half of the sub ended up falling on the floor. <laughs> so, 
So if any of you know me, I'm frugal. I do not like to waste. And so I wrap it back up and I'm like wrestling in my head. I'm like, I don't want to have to tell Aaron that his sub fell on the floor, but I also don't want to waste this sub and throw it out. And so I'm wrestling along and finally I'm like, okay, I would rather waste this sub and go and buy a new one than either I have to go home and tell him that I'm giving him a sub that fell on the floor, on the floor at Subway, or give it to him and not tell him and just kind of feel guilty. Like, there's no way he would know. But I'd feel kind of bad. Here, Aaron, here's a sub for you. I'm blessing you. Meanwhile, it's fallen on the floor, right? So... Anyways, I bought another sub, and uh, I went and gave it to him, and I said, just to let you know, I didn't, I I had to buy you a second sub, because I didn't want to have to tell you that this one fell on the floor, and then give it to you anyways. So anyways, that's just kind of a comical story, but the reality is, usually, if we're like, I rather would not want to have to tell my husband this. It probably means that we should. But a couple principles to keep in mind. Proverbs 31.11 talks about the fact that your husband should be able to trust you. So let's be trustworthy women. And 1 Peter 2.1 talks about putting away all deceit. So let's not be deceiving women. So let's keep those general principles in mind as we Think about what do I tell my husband and what don't I? Uh, So at this point, those were kind of maybe more um, general questions defining more about submission and respect. And uh, we also got some some more painful questions. And um, those are maybe a little bit harder and... Uh, delicate to answer, and yet I, I'm fully aware that even in Christian environments, we sometimes have difficult situations, and that's why we're having this Q&A, to help us to be uh, wise and godly and courageous in responding with submission and respect in, in all seasons and challenges of life. And we want to be better at that. And so we're, in some ways, I thought, I'm, I'm kind of inviting all of us into a counseling session. And yeah, some, some hurt and pain is exposed, um, but it doesn't really matter who, who asked these questions. And I don't even necessarily know who asked these questions because they were submitted through small group uh, settings. And I really hope we're able to get to all of them. I think I'm answering all the questions, but I uh, asked our small group leaders on our Tuesday morning Bible study submit questions. I asked our at-home group leaders to submit questions. So I do hope that I'm able to answer them all. Um, Some of them I didn't uh, I'm not giving the full question just to guard and protect certain people's privacy. But as we uh, consider this, I just want to continue to remind each of us that um, marriage gets ugly and marriage is difficult. And when it's really hard, we should be able to go to a trusted friend or a counselor and have them help sort things out, 
right? These are not the kind of things that we should just deal with on our own. If we truly want to have a redemptive marriage in a marriage that honors and glorifies the Lord. And sometimes we have to go to a friend. I've had to do this myself, right? To help sort out, like, okay, where is there legitimate hurt? But where am I maybe being rebellious, right? And in the hurt, then I have to be able to go to the Lord and allow him to heal me and comfort me and be my all-sufficient lover and friend. And where there's rebellion, then I need to repent and change my own ways. And the reality is, even in deep hurt, there's often also a lot of rebellion. And so let's be humble enough to recognize that even if I'm the one that's been hurt, I might also be the one that's rebellious. And I also want to recognize that there's many difficult marriages. In fact, probably most people that have been married for any amount of time have gone through difficult seasons. But difficulty is different than being qualified for divorce. And sometimes when we ask questions I don't know. What are we actually asking? Are we asking in order to give us a reason or affirmation that it's okay to go ahead and get divorced? Or do we sometimes ask these questions because we want to be affirmed that we can feel sorry for ourselves or feel like the victim? I don't think any of those should be our motivation in asking these questions. Our motivation in asking and answering these questions really always is Christ-centered and gospel-centered and for the purpose of restoration and having marriages redeemed, right? That is our, our highest goal. That's what we want so that Christ can be honored. Our marriages are meant to uh, represent the gospel, and with that comes a lot of repentance and a lot of forgiveness. And so let's be willing to tackle that. So before we go on, I do want to say that the Bible only gives two exceptions for when God allows divorce. And the first one is for marital unfaithfulness, Matthew 5, 31 to 32. And if one or the other marriage partner has been unfaithful, sexually unfaithful in the marriage, there is permission to divorce. Uh, even in that, though, we can still fight for our marriages. And if there's repentance, there is still the opportunity for forgiveness. And so let's just keep that in mind. And then the second would be found in 1 Corinthians 7, 12 to 14. And that is where the unbelieving spouse abandons the believing spouse. And uh, I do recognize that some men will not physically abandon the marriage in the sense that they leave the house. But there are other forms of abandonment. And if if this is your situation, I would say I'm not giving you at this point permission to, to seek divorce. If you feel like this you have truly been abandoned emotionally in your marriage, then I would strongly advise you to go and seek the counsel of the elders in your church because we have covenanted together in our marriages uh, before God and his people that we will stick with our marriages for better or for worse. And, um, and so if you feel like you have been abandoned even though you haven't been physically abandoned, 
then go and talk to your, your elders. And we have to give the elders of the church time to get do proper investigation, right? Just because you say this has happened does not mean that it they don't have a right to go and investigate. And they should, just like if the accusation is made against you. I would think that you would hope that they would actually investigate that to make sure that that is true. And that means unless you're in immediate danger, they're not going to say, oh, well, if this has happened, absolutely go and, and divorce your husband. But give them the opportunity to investigate. And I think some of these situations um, where a man would abandon his marriage without actually leaving would be repeatedly saying, I hate you, I want to divorce you by abusing you, those would be forms of abandonment that I think you should seek the help of the elders in your church and uh, get help there because he, that those are forms of abandonment. At the same time, in the investigation, just be prepared that maybe you too will be found to be rebellious. And uh, not always, but sometimes. And so if you have been guilty of belittling and shaming your husband, that is rebellion. And that needs to be corrected before you think you have a right to leave. Uh, if you've been involved you yourself have been involved in, in an affair or repeated affairs, that has to be corrected. That has to be taken into consideration when we look at your husband's behavior. Or if you are guilty of slapping or punching your husband, and yes, that does happen. And so let's just look at the whole picture. And so I'm saying all of this to say that there are exceptions and there are very toxic situations and we don't want to take those lightly. Um, and yet we want to hold God's word in high regard, his view of marriage in high regard, but don't do this alone. Seek the help of, a, of a, a counselor if you need it. And if there is question about whether or not it would be better for you, and in some situations it is better for you to leave an environment like that, seek the help of your, your pastor and um, trust him to do what is, is right. Um, so with that then, um, yeah, we have some tough questions to answer. Yeah. Thanks for clearing all of that up before we get into these questions. I think that, that helps. So our first question here is, how does a wife show submission when her husband makes some potentially dangerous financial decisions? Right, and so, yeah, um, entrusting ourselves to the financial decisions of our husbands can, can be an intimidating thing for some women. Uh, and sometimes it's because the woman likes to be controlling. And sometimes it's because maybe the, the husband has made some really poor decisions in the past. And, um, 
And in this question, it was a longer question when it was given to me, but the question had included, um, when do I have a right to, to go against what he says, similar to what Abigail in 1 Samuel 25 did? And those of you that are familiar with the story of Abigail, she was married to a man named Abel, Nabal. Nabal actually means fool, and that described him. And so in uh, 1 Samuel 25, it describes uh, them this way. It says, now the name, name of the man was Nabal, and the name of his wife, Abigail. The woman was discerning and beautiful, but the man was harsh and badly behaved. And uh, so when are you able to... Um, do what you think is discerning and wise? Well, it is when you are behaving in a discerning way, when you are seeking to be just and generous, as Abigail was seeking to be, and when your husband is harsh and badly behaved. And I would say that kind of terminology should come from more than just yourself, because I know that in our own minds, when we have been offended or hurt or don't like something that somebody has said to us, we can create a bigger-than-life problem. But even his, the people that worked for him described him as a man who was worthless and as a man that no one can talk to. And so if your husband, if you are married to a man who is described as, as being harsh and badly behaved and, and worthless and no one can talk to him, then absolutely you need to rise up and, and do what is just and right. And, and yet I would say, don't just let that be your own accusation. Are you, are you and are other people actually describing your husband as a fool? So let's be careful with that. Right? It doesn't mean that there aren't any husbands that are fools. Nabal evidently was. But let's be careful before we accuse our husband of that and then find the freedom to go and do our own thing and to dishonor him and uh, disobey him. Rather, when it comes specifically to finances, because that's what this question talked about, uh, first and foremost, let's choose to trust God. Let's consider ourselves a helpmate and seek and ask him how we can help him with finances. Right? Let's have open and honest conversations and, and not in a way that we belittle our husband or make him feel that he's a failure or remind him of all his past faults. But let's be open and honest and say, you know, I, I love finances. I think I have a good concept of that. Like, can I help you with some of these things? And, um, and then ask him, is there anything I can do to lighten your burden, right? He, he might not know that you're willing or able to help. And then secondly, make sure that you yourself are spending wisely, right? And then encourage him to hold off. Maybe your husband is a spontaneous spender and, uh, you know, he sees something and he buys it without really thinking about it. And yeah, like that's, that's a problem and that can put your family, your home in uh, a bit of vulnerability. But what can you do? How can you be his helpmate in encouraging him to hold off on financial decisions 
or financial expenditures instead of just being too quick to jump in and try to control the situation. And once again, yes, absolutely, share your concerns and um, not in a belittling way, but in a in a kind way. Ask the Lord to really guide you in your conversation and try to convince and influence him. And also recognize that influence takes time. It doesn't just happen overnight. And ultimately, once again, let's just remember that we are called to trust God. And sometimes that might mean that our husbands make some significant errors and that that might affect us. But can we still trust God even if our lives are affected, even in a little bit of a vulnerable way that inconveniences us or even maybe puts us in a difficult situation, an uncomfortable situation? Uh, trust God, right? I do believe that even in those situations, we can trust God to provide for us and, and take care of us and to redeem the consequences of big mistakes. Mm. And not to be fearful either. Yeah. Once again, yes, thank you. Mm -hmm. Okay. When your husband is passive, how can you show him respect in the everyday situations? So I would say, once again, submission is responsive to requests and decisions and leading. And respect is more of an active thing where we are intentional about participating in and being his helpmate and being a blessing to him. And so we want to seek to do that. And that includes praying for him and with him, giving lots of verbal affirmation and praise. Those are things that we can do on a regular basis, uh, thanking him for going to work, uh, making some of his favorite foods. Let's just face it. You know, it's been said for a long time, a way to a man's heart is through his stomach. And I think that is the case for most people. So bless him by making some of his favorite foods. And then plan to spend time together with him in things that he enjoys. Don't just expect him to spend time with you in all the, the girly ways that you enjoy spending time. Uh, go his way as well. And show an interest in what he does. And this is something that I know I have to be intentional about. My husband does a lot of work. He has a lot of hobbies. And sometimes I feel like I can't keep up with all his interests and all the things that he does. And um, and yet I, I make an effort to go where he is and see what he's doing and notice the things that he has done, even if they're not natural to me, because that's how I can honor him. And then more on a negative tone, stop trying to control and we do that as women, let's just be honest, Tr stop trying to control him, stop complaining, and we're very good at that too. We're very much like the Israelites in Exodus. We can be complainers, and we can be manipulative. We can nag and be quarrelsome. So stop doing all those things. Take those things out of your life first before you expect and nag and tell him how wrong he is. Um, Proverbs talks about the quarrelsome wife being like a constant dripping. And that gets irritating. It, it gets at you. It can actually erode um, uh, the faucet. And so let's, let's be careful not to erode our husband by a constant dripping, being quarrelsome. And then to choose to trust him in any area possible. So yeah, maybe he's made some big mistakes, but I'm sure he's not a mistake 100% of the time. 
So let's choose to look for those ways that we can trust him and then tell him that you trust him in those ways. Those are active ways that we can show respect to our husbands and build him up, maybe particularly if he tends to be more passive and, you know, timid about taking the lead. I think if we do these things, that will actually really build him up so that he is in a better place to lead. Thanks, Susie. We've been talking in our small group lately about encouraging our husbands, so... Um, I know some of the women in our group have been doing that and seeing a result right away, which is wonderful. Uh, the next question sort of leads similarly from, from the last one. What advice would you give to someone who desperately desires to reverse the headship in the home, but has a husband who won't get out of the passivity seat or is seeking the Lord or help from a friend or a leader to lead like Christ? It's extremely hard to encourage a passive husband to lead. What encouragement and practical, practical ways would you give to a woman trying to do this solo in her marriage and in her home? Right. And so certainly there is some hurt in this question, right? And I, I recognize that. And um, many women who live in a home with a passive leader are desperate for him to lead. And I, I, I get that. Uh, first of all, I would say stop trying to make him the leader. That's not your job. And our job is to be his helpmate, to be his companion, to be his lover and encourager, to be the one that shows him respect. And if you do those things, you will soon find that you have a leader in your husband. Now, I do want to say that soon can be relative because if you have been nagging and belittling and shaming or just taking control or stepping in where he hasn't for the last 10 or 20 or 30 or maybe even 40 years and he's just taken the back seat because after all, you've done it all or maybe you've even belittled him for not doing it all, it's going to take time for him to learn to trust you. So as much as we'd like there to be immediate change, just remember it's not your job to make him the leader. God didn't say, wives, make your husband be a leader. Allow him to be the leader. Follow him. Serve him. Encourage him. Respect him. Be his companion and helpmate. And in time, um, he will much more likely become the leader that he has been called to. Mm. At some point, can what your husband asks of you become more like inappropriate control rather than leading properly? Like, can he decide what meals to have every single night for dinner or when you clean what in the house that day? When is there freedom I have as a wife to be a manager of the home? Right. So I would say, first of all, you are always under his authority. And so... Um, you don't have freedom to be the manager until he gives you that opportunity. Um, but at the same time, let's just consider the fact that many men have their, their whole life been told uh, to suppress their leadership, to uh, suppress their initiative, to suppress their, their natural ability and inclination to be fighters and protectors and to just stay back and be dumb and let the woman do it all, right? That's 
what the world teaches. And so when men come under the authority of God's word, under the conviction of the Holy Spirit, and begin realizing they are called to be leaders, they're trying to figure it out. And so sometimes they might take it a little bit too far or be too detailed or too um, specific in the things that they're asking. So first of all, I would just encourage this woman uh, or anyone in this situation to be patient with him as he learns to lead and not to resist that too quickly. But at the same time, once again, let's have gospel conversations. And if you are feeling like he is overstepping and and that's making you feel belittled or less than, have those conversations and let him know how you're feeling and give him him an opportunity to try and figure it out. And uh, once again, um, different personalities are going to have different personalities. Some men are going to be more particular about certain things than other men. And if that's your husband... We have been called to submit to our own husbands, and so that's part of your marriage. Um, But for now, I would say be joyful in your work, and don't complain. Work hard. Stay off your phone, because if he's he's a hardworking, diligent man, and he, you know, is orderly, and he's maybe even a manager at work, and he comes home and he sees his wife just scrolling on her phone— that's probably not going to cause him to trust you. So stay off your, not totally, I'm not saying never go on your phone, but limit your time. Be aware of the time that you spend on your phone. Learn what he values, and in time he's going to learn to trust you. And one of those things is um, even like little things, the way I clean the house or the things that I value in the house might well, they do look a little bit differently than what Aaron values. And I used to spend a lot of time scrubbing and cleaning my floors, floors and wanting my floors to be spotless. And Aaron doesn't really care about the floors. He wants to be able to come into a house and make, and in general, have it look orderly and tidy. And so I've, over the years, switched what I focus my time on. Whereas I used to spend, you know, probably a couple of days a week washing my floors. Now it's a couple times a month, maybe, maybe once a month. I don't worry, they're not filthy. I don't have little kids at home anymore either. But but I my focus is different because I know that's what he values and he appreciates and that's what makes him feel is a, a clean house. And so learn what he values. Uh, at the same time, I also do want to say God is not a dictator and therefore our husbands also shouldn't be dictators. And if 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 that's what he is, absolutely pursue conversations with him to help guide him in, and be his helpmate in showing him what you need as a wife to help you to be uh, intentional and hardworking at home rather than just being giving, given orders and to-do lists, right? We are, we are helpmates and we are uh, to love and respect and honor our husbands, but we are more than just a to-do list. So if that's how you're feeling, once again, have a gospel conversation with him, right? Um, and seek to love him according to 1 Corinthians 13, 4 to 7. And in that, you can be an example to him on how he can love you as well. Thank you. Okay. How does a woman who marries a Christian man navigate her relationship if it is always dry, apathetic, and joyless? 
She doesn't want to disappoint God and leave without biblical reasons. She does notice him constantly looking at other women and barely giving a sweet look her way. He wants to go to church but never initiates Bible reading or fun family activities. Curious on the path one should take if counseling or talking never changes anything. Does she live in perpetual misery? Okay, so once again, we already talked about this a little bit, but misery is a choice just like joy is a choice. And so we we don't have to live in perpetual misery even if we live in a difficult marriage. And then we need to relook at what biblical marriage actually is. And biblical marriage does not mean that our husband plans fun activities. It does not mean that um, he has to initiate Bible reading with you. It it doesn't mean that um, uh, he he's going to give you all the sweet looks. It does mean that the marriage bed is kept pure, absolutely, and that is something. And so uh, there's a lot here. So first of all, let's look at a biblical marriage and strive for those qualities. And um, if he's taking you to church and your family to church, let's be thankful for that. Let's not be satisfied with that. Let's pray for more and seek more, but let's be thankful for that. And um, if he doesn't read the word, we should still be reading the word and studying the word and being transformed by the word. So let's be, be diligent on that. Uh, when it comes to fun activities, well, those are a bonus. It's nice. It's good to spend time together as a family, but that's not a prerequisite for a godly marriage. Um, if, he, if you sense that he is looking at other women, uh, certainly, once again, the marriage bed is to be kept pure, and he is not to have eyes on another woman. But we have to be careful about things that are not hard facts. And if we don't have proof that he is looking lustfully at another woman, we do have to be careful about that accusation. Uh, at the same time, I do understand that we can have a sense about things, but that's when we want to ask the Lord to expose any darkness uh, and let the light come in. Usually, if a man is guilty of looking at other women and in a way that is evident, there's probably more sin involved in his life that is actually more concrete sin, sins that you could actually say he has done this. He has looked at pornography. He has sinned sexually in this way. He has had an actual affair. Those are the things that we can actually accuse him of. And then obviously, if that's the case, then we take it to our small group leader or a biblical counselor, the elders of the church, and let those people deal with your husband. And um, so yes, let's, let's be, be careful there. And, um, that doesn't mean that your suspicions are invalid, but ask the Lord to expose what is actually happening there and, uh, for, for proof that you actually have an accusation there. At the same time, let's just be careful. And I, 
you know, I, I don't think that, that that's what's happening in the situation that was just given here. But as women, we do have to be careful of being overly jealous or insecure or suspicious in ways that aren't actually valid. Um, so once again, let's look to what is marriage and not expect more uh, just because we see on Instagram and on social media all the fun family things that are happening and, you know, all these families that look like they've got it all together and go on all these fun vacations. We don't know all the fights that they got into while they were on that vacation, right? So let's be careful not to have an idealistic view of marriage, but stick to what does God's word actually say? What should my marriage be uh, look like. And if you have the extras, the fun and the, the, the laughter, hey, be thankful for those. Thank you. We want to model ourselves after Christ, not after somebody on Instagram. How does a wife submit to a narcissistic husband or someone who always has to be right? Someone who doesn't engage verbally very much or give feedback or have much conversation? Okay, so um, Colossians 3, 12 to 17 says we are to have compassionate hearts. We're supposed to be kind and humble and patient and bearing with one another. Ephesians 3, 20 says that we believe that the Lord can change his heart. We think the best of people. Colossians 3, 18, once again, says that we submit and honor as is fitting to the Lord. We serve as is fitting unto the Lord. So we, we don't um, participate or facilitate in um, ungodly behaviors. Um, Proverbs 15.1 says, A soft answer turns away wrath. So if wrath is being poured out on you, respond with softness. Pray for him. And call out sin for what it is. If you simply call him a narcissist, well, narcissism is a mental illness. And if you have a mental illness, you aren't responsible. That is just who you are, and that is your excuse. And that defines how you have behaved in the past, how you're behaving now, and how you will behave in the future. And I do not believe that that is a biblical view on on behavior. Let's call out sin for what it is. So if he is being harsh with you, you have a right to call him out for being harsh. If he is calling you names, you absolutely have a right um, for calling him out for uncorrupt, um, for corrupting talk. If he is um, uh, being physically abusive, you absolutely have a right to call him out for violence. If he is neglecting you, you have a right to, to call him out for not being attentive to you. If he is uh, lying about you, if he's saying you've done certain things that you haven't actually done, you can call him out for lying. If he is um, uh, selfish in any way, you can call him out for selfishness. If he is arrogant, if he is bragging about himself, you can call him out for that. So let's be careful to um, call sin for what it is. When we're confronting our husband, let's do it with a spirit of gentleness for the purpose of restoring, not just accusing and condemning and belittling. I think we have to be very, very careful about that and to believe that the gospel has the power to change anyone. So believe that and pray that for him. And when it comes to um, conversation, 
seek to have conversation with him, engage, ask him questions. And it might even seem like a little bit con uh, contrary to the purpose if we're saying ask a, a narcissist questions about himself. But you might find that if you ask the questions first, he might be a little less interested in always talking about himself and he might actually begin to learn to ask you questions about your day and your life and your dreams and wishes as well. How do I show respect to my husband if he is heavily involved in pornography? So once again, a very, very painfully, um, very personally painful situation to be in. And uh, so I would say Ephesians 4.25 talks about not lying to cover up sin. Uh, you are his accountability and you have a right to do that. But I would also say you do not need to know every detail about his addiction. It would probably actually be harmful for you to know every detail, but it is absolutely essential that other godly men are involved in his life, keeping him accountable, men that you can trust, and then also choose to trust them to act diligently in this manner uh, to bring about restoration Always remembering Hebrews 13.4 also talks about keeping the marriage bed undefiled. It is not okay uh, to have pornography within the marriage. And that includes the wife introducing it to her husband, which also can be the case. And so, yes, we don't have to facilitate that. We don't cover that up. But we act lovingly and graciously with the intent to restore in a spirit of gentleness. And you can look at Galatians 6, 1 to 5 about that. And then the other thing I would also say, as much as I understand this would be very, very difficult, I would also encourage you to initiate sexual intimacy with your husband. Uh, 1 Corinthians 7 talks about not withholding our bodies from our husband, just like they are not to withhold from us. And as much as that can be hard, we in our feminine, godly beauty have the opportunity to show him what vibrant, pure, and holy sex should look like within the marriage context. So don't diminish yourself to the level of what those porn stars are doing but show him what pure and holy and responsive and passionate sex within the marriage uh, covenant should look like. And you will probably need to be very prayerful about that because that would be a very difficult thing to do when you are aware of your husband's issues, and yet that is one of the most loving and sacrificial things that you can do for your husband in those times. All right. We have one more question, and it is, how would submission look if the wife is a saved believer, but the husband is not a believer at all? Okay, so first of all, I encourage you to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He is your priority. He is the only one you worship, and make that evident. Even if your husband is jealous of your affections for God, God always comes first. But then... Once again, 1 Peter 3, 1 to 6, I'm not going to read it again because we've taken snips of that uh, a few different times. Uh, it, it talks about being a respectful and pure woman that you are able to actually win him over without words by being gentle and quiet in your spirit. 
And so that's what I would encourage along with not being fearful. Once again, Titus 2, 3 to 5 uh, talks about the word of God not being dishonored. So do not dishonor the word of God in your home. Honor it, uphold it, and don't flaunt it in front of him. Um, but don't be fearful as well. And uh, if the word of God is going to aggravate him, I would say there's times when maybe you do need to go to a quiet and private place to read the word, but don't hide it from him either. The word of God is powerful and might be the exact word that he needs to convict him and to, to challenge him and give him a desire for more. And, uh, 1 Peter 4, 13 to 16 also talks about sharing in Christ's sufferings. And so we, we will be women who suffer for the sake of Christ if we truly put God as our number one, if we honor him above all else. And if that means that has to come from our husbands, we should be willing to do so, to suffer ridicule and shaming for the cause of Christ because we go to church, we because we keep our lives holy and pure, because Christ is number one, because we're reading the word, because we're praying, he will accuse us, but we should be willing uh, to allow that to happen um, for the sake of Christ, knowing that Christ also suffered on our behalf. Um, so as we close, I just want to challenge all of us to consider remembering the fact that we are created in the Imago Dei. We are the image of God. And first and foremost, let's be the image of God to our husbands, whether they are believers or not. And therefore, let's seek to know him and to represent him in all of life. And I can just affirm that the more you know Christ, the more you know his attributes, the more you know his work, the more you will be filled with both the knowledge of how to honor and respect your husband, and you will also be filled with the, the courage to do that because the more you know him, the more you will become like him and it will become more natural to you. And the more you obey him, the more natural obedience will be uh, to you. Um, and the more free you will be from what other people think or uh, from your own entitlement and you will just seek to honor God with your life and to accomplish his purposes, to obey God by submitting and respecting to your husband. And as you do that, always remember that your husband also has no small task before him as well. Thank you for taking the time to listen. We pray that this will help equip you to live out God's good plan for your life, for your family, for your marriage. We would encourage you, if you enjoy this podcast, to like and to share. And please join us again as we look to rebuild biblical womanhood from the foundation up. Mm -hmm.